I would go to some affiliate conferences once I quit my job, like Affiliate Summit and um, Commission Junction had an annual event that I'd go down to Santa Barbara for. But, you know, didn't discover podcasts for several years after that. Was kind of an island, kind of on my own. And it was it was lonely. I didn't discover the, the magic of mastermind groups or podcasting for lots of years. Podcast Junkies, episode 308. Welcome back. I'm your host, Harry Duran. Regular listeners, thank you so much for coming and showing up day in, day out, whether you've been here from episode one or you just found the show last episode. For those for whom this is brand new, welcome, welcome, welcome. I really appreciate you taking a chance on this show. This is the one where I talk to some of the most interesting voices in podcasting from my perspective. And my objective is just to get them to kick back their heels and talk about their shows and whatever else is on their mind. I think what really brings us together from a podcasting perspective is this passion that we have for the medium. And this is the energy that I want to bring to each one of these conversations. It's exactly what happened last week with Diana Ray. She's a broadcaster. She's an interviewer. She's a content creator. She's a producer, a voice talent, and she's a seeker. And lastly, she's the co-founder of the Mind, Body, Spirit Podcast Network. It's so interesting the way things happen and people who have been listening to me for quite some time know that I'm a firm believer in the power of the universe putting things in our path at the right time. I've been thinking about this idea of creating a network for shows that are related to spirituality and raising consciousness. And this is exactly what Diane and her co-founder are working on at mindbodyspirit.fm. She's the founder of the Mind Body Spirit Podcast Network, a platform for content creators, In this episode, we talked about how to handle radio and podcast interviews, because that's her background in radio, a bit about some of the interesting ad structures and revenue sharing models, and something that's near and dear to my heart, the power of spiritual awakenings and how that's allowed her to build this fantastic community. I want to remind you that if you're enjoying this episode or past episodes, I'd love it if you leave a rating and a review at ratethispodcast.com forward slash podcast junkies, and I'll be sure to read those out on future episodes. This week, I speak to Nick Loper. He's the founder and chief side hustler at Side Hustle Nation. It's a community of like-minded and hardworking folks looking to make extra money and build businesses. What's so fascinating is that the way this journey goes in podcasting, Nick and I actually met way back, I think it was 2014, we talked about it on the show, and we were just in the same space, you know, meeting some of these new podcasters who had been doing it for like two or three years and who we were looking up to and and modeling. I think for some part, I'll speak for myself, um, just fun times to see some of those folks who are some of those are still friends of mine now and that I've gone on to build friendships with, which is really, really great, considering how nervous I was when I got off that van that shuttle van at new media expo in january of 2014 not knowing anyone maybe for some folks uh, online i think of folks like chris arun who's still a friend to this day and it's just been uh, an interesting journey so it's a nice sort of throwback reminder and appropriate episode as we close out the year to think back on how how much the show has grown and the lessons that i've learned along the way and it was nice to have nick on as that reminder as well we talked about where his entrepreneurial spirit came from and why he's looking to pass the lesson of working for freedom down to his children. And he shares and is vulnerable about the lessons he's learned from failure as well, which I appreciate. We talk about the evolution of his relationship with his listeners, fatherhood, and the value he places on creativity. 
I know I say this a lot, but this was really one that was a long time coming. I remember trying to coordinate or just asking Nick and we just couldn't make the times work. And this has been going on for years. So it's been really nice that we were able to make this happen. Before we jump into this episode, a few words from the folks that support this show. I'm grateful for the opportunity to partner with Focusrite. I'm so excited to talk about their newest line of sound cards, the Vocaster. It's got an endless list of features. I'll go through a couple here. Auto gain, easily set your levels with the click of a button. With more than enough gain on tap, 70 dB, no booster needed. An enhanced feature, which allows four podcaster-approved voice presets, which will bring out the best in any voice. You can silence the mic with the touch of a mute button and record phone calls, high-quality music, or any audio from your device seamlessly. You can record to a camera directly to its memory card. It's got a loopback feature to stream calls or any other audio you can think of from your computer. And three amazing packages of software, Hindenburg Lite, three months of Squadcast Pro plus video, and six months of Acast Influencer. What an amazing package. You can learn more at podcastjunkies.com forward slash vocaster. All right, Nick Loper, host of Side Hustle Show. Long, long, long overdue <laughs> conversation on Podcast Junkies. Thank you so much for making the time. You bet. Always happy to geek out on all things podcasting. When did we first connect? Was it Podcasters Paradise? Could have been like 2014, 2015, you know, yeah. one of these events. Were you at New Media Expo in 2014? I was there. That's when I first met Jared. That's where I first met Dan. Like, yeah, it was a long time ago. That's wild. That was my... So basically, I was... Still in my nine to five, I was working on a mobile app for electronic music. It was called Know Your DJ. And I was like, oh, I want to start a podcast and interview DJs. And I looked up conferences and new media expos. There's bloggers, YouTubers, and podcasters. Yeah, gosh, that was early days, man. <laughs> and then Chris, oh man, what's Chris's last name? He was introducing Jared's talk. I mean, not Jared's talk, Cliff Ravenscraft's talk. And he was like, oh, who's like a podcast junkie? And I was like, oh, I am. I had like 20 shows on my phone because I was just binging all the bunch of stuff. Okay. And then I came back from the conference and I was like, I think I'd rather talk to podcasters. They're going to be easier to talk to. <laughs> and I want to like learn about like what makes a good show. So it's kind of like inside the actor studio, but for podcasters. There you go. And now here it is like eight, <laughs> nine years later. 300 plus episodes and we'd keep running into each other at these either that conference, I think NAB probably maybe, or and then early days of podcast movement as well. Yeah, you were always on brand with your bright yellow shirt. It's like, oh, there's Harry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I remember in Vegas, I think, hanging out one time. And I, I remember I, like, I would be running to each other at some of the events. I'd be like, okay, you got to come on, you got to come on. And it's so funny how many, so many years have gone by. But I'm just, I've always wanted to have you come on and tell your story. It's very inspirational. And so, you know, your entrepreneurial journey goes back, I think, a couple of years before mine, wherever you think it's appropriate for you to start, and then maybe we'll go back even further, but maybe just kind of where Entrepreneurial Journey and the podcast started to come online for you. Yeah, we can trace the origin story, like, you know, as far back as you want to go. I was the kid, like, selling candy to my fellow Boy Scouts at summer camp. Like, oh, let's go to Costco before, you know, grab these bags of Skittles and stuff. Yeah. Before the phrase was popular. I feel like I was really hit or bit by the entrepreneurial bug in college. I was, you know, painting houses over the summer through one of these college painting kind of franchise network type of deals. And that was my first real taste of, you know, being in charge of my own schedule, kind of, you know, calling the shots and either making it work or not. And that was my first taste of working for profits instead of wages. And you kind of had this little shift from 
you know, the goal being to get a job and the goal kind of shifts to like, well, how do you make money without a job? And it was like, it was kind of an interesting turning point. You know, this is a little business owner shift of, you know, what was going on in my young and malleable brain at that time. But post-college, my first online side hustle was a comparison shopping site for footwear, which is like back in the early days of the internet, you know, the good old days, people would search, would start their product search on Google instead of on Amazon. And you'd have sites like Pricegrabber and Nextag and shopping.com where they would tell you where you could find the best price on whatever it was you were looking for. So my idea was like, well, what if we build that except niche down and we'll just do it for shoes and we'll do it better than anybody else. Because we'll have, you know, product level coupon integration and we'll calculate the tax and the shipping and all this stuff. And so ran that business for a lot of years, for three years as a side hustle and then another five or six as kind of my main focus. And it was on the side from that, the side hustle show was born and the other, I mean, lots of failed projects too, for the sake of full disclosure, it's stuff that never really got any traction, didn't really know what I was doing. But the other site that stuck around for a long time was a virtual assistant uh, directory and review platform, like Yelp for outsourcing companies was that business. But that one and the side hustle show were kind of the fallback plan for when the shoe business kind of faded into the sunset. Where were you looking for inspiration? Like who at that time, like what was available from like resources, people to look up to, people to learn from, like what was available at that time? For the shoe sniper like days. It was, you know, pre-WordPress or it was at least pre my awareness of WordPress. And so it was all custom coded. Like I found, I put a job out for bid on guru.com. It's kind of like a precursor. I think it's still around actually, but a precursor to Elance, Odesk, Upwork. And one of the guys who bid on it you know, live just half an hour away from me in Northern Virginia. So I go over to this guy's apartment. He, you know, after several you know minutes of this conversation, he, I think he realizes like, it's just me. It's like this 22 year old dude, maybe 23 at that time. And he's like, oh, okay, let me, you know, I was bidding here based on, you know, a company reaching out to me, but it's like just some random, you know, young kid. And so he and his team built the thing. They supported the site, you know, really almost for close to 10 years after that and it was you know just one of these little you know random niches that ended up working very heavily reliant on paid traffic never really figured out the seo game for that business but played in the margin between what you could buy you know long tail product specific keywords for on google and what that was worth in terms of affiliate commissions it was like i was heads down. I was like, you know, reading books from the library, business books, marketing yeah, books, yeah. <laughs> but none of it was like super applicable to the specific or yeah, dated, right? Yeah. I mean, I would go to some affiliate conferences once I quit my job, like affiliate summit and commission junction had an annual event that I'd go down to Santa Barbara for, but you know, didn't discover podcasts for several years after that, you know, was kind of an Island because it was kind of on my own and it was lonely. I didn't discover the, the magic of mastermind groups or podcasting for lots of years. Did you have any mentors or someone that was help, helping you guide you along the way? Just flying in the dark. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy when people have to think about like folks that are just getting started. You see like these 12 year old entrepreneurs now like starting businesses and they've got so many resources and so many YouTube like tutorials. There's like nothing you can't learn 
online and especially now if you're young you just have you have nothing but time right and so they're like they're whipping up these businesses and trying and failing and, and they probably had like three businesses before they hit their 16th birthday <laughs> which is awesome like to get those reps in and everything i remember reading the i want to say reed hastings book yeah the, you know co-founder of netflix and he talks about like the early days of Netflix and you know they had to raise you know two million dollars to get it started because you had to like build your own servers and you had to like figure out this whole like payment processing system where it's like oh you know with WordPress Squarespace Wix like thousands of free themes plug it into Stripe plug it into WooCommerce like you're good to go you know with these off the shelf solutions but they had to custom code everything and it was like yeah it cost that much just to get it off the ground did you have a Netflix subscription did you get those those DVDs in the mail. I never did. We held out until it was streaming. It's so funny when like the blockbuster days, I mean, I remember watching Lost and getting into that TV show. It was, it's such a, an awesome series and I don't want to spoil it for anyone who hasn't seen it by now. I think everyone by now has seen it, but I remember we'd run to like blockbuster to get the next season because we were just like, oh my God, we got to watch. Nice. It was a crazy cliffhanger and you couldn't wait for like Netflix to send it to you. But it's so funny just kind of thinking about Netflix as an upstart now and just how huge they are now and, and, and how far they've come. Absolutely. And so when did podcasting come on your radar? Or did you start to listen to them to like learn some of the business stuff? Yeah, I started listening probably 2011, 2012. And it would have been Tropical MBA podcast, yeah. which was the lifestyle business podcast in its early days. That's still in rotation. You know, those guys are still at it 10 years later. It was, you know, some early smart passive income episodes. Those were super inspiring. Those were probably the two that really, you know, I will credit as getting me hooked on podcasting as a listener. Yeah, me too. And, you know, striking the idea of what would be the show that I want to listen to? Like, I loved, you know, skip the high level theory, give me the tactics, right? Like, this is the show that I want. Like, how'd you come up with that idea? How'd you get your first customers? Wait a minute. How'd you figure out how much to charge for that? Like, all of that stuff was fascinating to me in 2013 and really still is like 500 episodes later it's that zero to one type of story and then that one to ten like the initial liftoff and then the scale like i still love all that stuff i love talking to folks that have been doing it for such a long time because i think a lot of podcasters when especially new podcasters they're so worried about like the sound of their voice and like what the first step is going to look like and who they're going to talk to and i don't think you can really explain or train people what that experience is going to be like until you just actually do it and you have like awkward conversations or your mic isn't working or your guest doesn't show up or you run out of questions or then you figure out like you know better on your interview skills or better at your guest selection skills can you recall back those early days like how much of it was just like fly by the seat of your pants and just learn as you go it's like you don't know what you don't know right and it's just like you're putting in the reps and you're trying to get better every week but it's still a matter of Everybody has to kind of go through that sucking yeah. phase, you know, for the first 50 episodes, you know, before, you know, maybe totally. even 100 before you start to like really feel comfortable behind the mic yeah. and you start to nail down a, a process and being comfortable, you know, with the guest to say, time out, let's pause, let's, you know, let me ask that again, or let me ask that a different way, or let's regroup, you know, we're trying to cover... 10 years of history here. Like, let's, what would happen if we just like focus in on this one marketing tactic that really worked for you? And let's dive in on that. And so some of those tend to be salvageable and editing salvages a lot too, where it's like, you might record for an hour, you might record for an hour 15 and you, you know, 
scale it back to 45, 50 minutes through the magic of editing. But there's, I don't know if there's a shortcut for it because it's just you try to get comfortable behind the mic and it comes through practice. How did you think about getting started? Like, I'd love to kind of maybe see if you can wind the clock back, put yourself in that like beginner mindset, knowing, and it's hard because you know already now what you went through, but just kind of those early days of like, oh, like, where do I go to like learn about the mic? And you did join Podcasters Paradise, right? John Lee Dumas's group. I was never in there, but knew many of those folks. Okay, yeah, because it seems like we were in the same circles. Yeah, so like, where did you go? And, and how did you just kind of thinking through your thought process for like, okay, I know I want to start a podcast. And then what? Yeah, I relied really heavily on Pat free video tutorial series that he had. I've plugged that lots of times. I think it's like podcasting tutorial.com yeah. is his redirect <laughs> for that. And it's still live. He's updated it, you know, since 2012 when it first was released and I was so green I didn't know like well you need a media host and I was like oh I thought you know iTunes would just like host this stuff like I don't know and it was 15 bucks a month had it been 25 or 30 the show might not exist like I, what am I committing myself to I just have to keep paying this like forever as long <laughs> as I want this thing to exist out in the world it's like yeah. I don't know but that's a lot of money, like when you're just getting started. Yeah, 15 seemed reasonable. I was like, all right, let's roll the dice. And I was, am I going to, I'm going to commit to doing this weekly, but am I going to run out of people to talk to? Like, and all that. And now it's like 500 episodes later. I don't think I've missed yeah. a week since like, <laughs> you know, Christmas or Thanksgiving in the first That's year. Awesome. And it's just, you know, the ideas keep coming. They kind of bubble up out of the community. You get introductions and recommendations to other guests. And it's, I don't know, kind of a self self-fulfilling um, at this point you know the the wheels start to spin but early days like you know it's painful you're starting with no audience and you have to celebrate like the small wins like i remember like the first you know 50 download day and it's like and you get a little bit nervous because you're like i think i have reasonably exceeded my own circle of marketing influence right now and that's kind of intimidating that means like a stranger on the internet is listening to us what if they think it sucks you know and all of a sudden like it's super vulnerable right it's a weird medium in that it's super anonymous. You see like the blips on the chart, but unless you say something dumb, unless you screw up, you don't always get a lot of feedback. You don't always get a lot of comments, uh, email responses. So it's it can be a little bit lonely at times, despite knowing that there's lots of people out there tuning in. What was your tech stack early? Because I remember I wanted to have that face-to-face -face and I was able to piece together Skype with call recorder. So I was able to have the video and then not, obviously not use it back then. Now we've got easy tools like Squadcast to make that our jobs easier. But what were you recording with back then? I didn't do any video for five years, six years. I didn't do any video for a long time because I'm off looking at my notes. I'm off looking at other tabs. Like, ah, I'm not making eye contact anyways. I was on, and I still am on PC. So I had like some third-party Skype recording software that I used for a long time. I've used Squadcast. I've used Zencaster. I've used Zoom for a handful of interviews. Those are probably the main ones. Yeah. And then what's interesting is um, I think a lot of folks take it for granted, like the ease of use of having these video tools available. I feel like there's a different skill set when you just have the audio. It's like your ability to listen in on your guests and to find opportunities to like how to engage with them. And like when they're silent, you're like, are you still there? <laughs> like, I don't know if any of that happened, but like, did you feel like you had to be more attentive because it was since it was audio only? Yeah, maybe so. Maybe it's like a listening practice. And sometimes you go back and you'll 
you'll listen to your episodes or you'll review the transcript and you kind of see these like missed opportunities where you're like, oh, why didn't you poke harder at that? Or, you know, that would have been the natural follow-up. As I'm listening again, my mind goes here, but in the moment, it doesn't always happen. And, and you hear that on other shows too, you, where you wished the host would like, okay, go one step, go one step deeper. Don't let him get away with that, you know? But it's, yeah, lots of, it was years before I really started reviewing any sort of transcripts either. Very little editing. I should have done just like the half hour YouTube tutorial on how to edit audio because I edited it all myself for the first almost three years and didn't know anything about compression. So it was just like amplify everything like, like, let's just blow out the mics. And I apologize to my early (laughs) listeners. How much research were you doing to your guests back then? I would go into almost every episode, not necessarily with having done like a pre-recording like intro call, but with with at least an outline of the story arc that I wanted to cover or the, you know, the main talking points that I want to cover and still do that today. And that's mainly to, um, you know, I send that to them in, in advance. Some people look at it, some people don't, but mainly for me to kind of guide it, you know, where we think it'll go. And if something gets interesting, yeah, we'll go off over there for a little bit or we'll dive deeper, but generally keeps me on task of like, okay, here's the the takeaway or the transformation that we want somebody to learn in exchange for their 45 minutes of tuning in because it's still this it's gotten better but it's still a hurdle to get somebody from stranger to listener like that big first leap to say you know maybe their friend recommends they go check out this show they got to find their podcast app they got to search for your specific show they got to scroll down to the specific episode you're talking about they got to find a 45 minute gap in their day to like actually tune in it's a big ask and so the hook for that has got to be really compelling it's so interesting because when i think about how many shows i had on my phone back then i was listening i was learning about mobile apps i was learning about online business i was listening to pat i was listening to like tropical mba guys and i was just like you know, when you're when you're in like learning mode, you're just voraciously consuming all this content, and it's it's so hard to think about it because even with like two shows I host now and then the agency that we have, it's you just don't have enough time in the day. I've gotten better at two x in <laughs> shows now because I feel like it's the only way I can get through some of that content. Yeah. How has your listening, your consumption of podcasts changed? It's definitely decreased. It's become. I don't know. I mean, if you have something where you really want to, you know, catch up on, like Dan Carlin is like my example of that. Like whenever there's a new hardcore history episode, it's like I will like purposely go around the house with the ear, you know, with one earbud in. <laughs> like, oh, because they're all like five, six hours long. You That's know? an investment like, of time. Yes. Yeah. It's like, oh, I'll take the dog out, you know, volunteer for these different chores and stuff. Uh during commutes, I remember like driving up to the mountains in California and I would do like Seth Godin's startup school at like 2X and the drive has never gone faster. Like, oh, this is fantastic. Well, we, you know, would drive up from California to Washington for Christmas and, you know, the fastest drive we ever did was when Serial came out and it was like, we oh, had yeah. like 12 hours of Serial episodes to go with it. It was like, oh, this is great. So that and that's a powerful place to be as a podcast host is somebody's company, somebody's companionship on these drives in their earbuds. It's a really powerful relationship you start to build over time. How has your relationship with your listeners changed over the years? You know, I imagine, I don't know to what extent, you know, how many people have started with you, discovered you halfway through and just continue to listen to you. And so can you talk a little bit about the community you started to build over the years as well? Yeah, it's a show that people hopefully graduate out of at some point where, you know, they find 
their idea and then they go off and do that thing. And so there's a little bit of turnover in the audience, but you still get people who are like, oh man, I've been with you since 2014, 2015. And that's really cool to do, especially when you meet people at conferences and events and they say, oh, it was your episode on, you know, self-publishing in 2015 that got me started. And then this, you know, kind of the snowball starts rolling. So that's really uh, encouraging. And that's probably been the most unexpected benefit of doing all of this stuff is having a network of, you know, I would consider internet friends, like all over the world, really. We've had meetups, you know, starting with this guy in Vietnam. He like, I must have put out in the email or something said on air, like, hey, we're going on this trip to Southeast Asia. And he's like, are you coming to Ho Chi Minh City? Like, I need to buy you a coffee. And so that was like the very first, you know, unofficial side hustle show meetup. And we've done, you know, all over the country, whenever I'm at events, we've done Japan and Prague and Mexico City. And it's been an absolute blast to get to meet people in real life. And so were these trips that you had planned on like personal trips, and then you just kind of fact, you know, just baked in the meetups and just asking whoever was going to be in town? Yeah, personal trips or, you know, or business conference trips. Yeah. And then when did you start the speaking? Because I noticed you've done some of that as well. Like as, as just the show got more popular, you just started applying to be on stages? A little bit. That's a, you know, if somebody asks me, I will try not to decline that. Like, you know, okay, I'm flattered by that. And that's an honor to do. The one that I, you know, really went after early on, which was like total imposter syndrome was a local like TEDx talk. And it was, you know, I had volunteered there the summer before. I was like, our town has a TEDx, like, this is so cool. And they really, you know, they got the red carpet and the letters on the stage, like the black box theater and everything. And so I sent a note to the organizers, like, you know, raising my hand, like, hey, I'd love to, you know, come on and I can talk about creativity or something, whatever their theme was from the previous year. I didn't hear anything for months. I was like, well, maybe they're not doing it this year. Maybe they thought my pitch sucked. I don't know. They finally write back. They're like, hey, you know, we got your uh, proposal. We got your note. Thanks so much for volunteering last year. But our theme isn't creativity. It's it's education. Or, you know, maybe it was vice versa. I think it was on creativity. And, you know, what do you got on that topic? It's like, um, yeah, I got something here. <laughs> oh, that's cool. Do you have any speaking experience? It's like, well, uh, I got this podcast. And, and that was enough. And that was really interesting to say. It was like, total deer in the headlights, total like physiological stress response, like being up on the stage, like, did I rehearse enough? Am I going to be able to get through this with no notes? But it was a really cool experience and a really cool bit of social proof to be able to have that badge up on the website and say, yes, a TEDx speaker. That's so awesome. Make sure you send me that link. I want to make sure it's put in the, in the show notes. How much time did you work on that talk? Months. It was really grateful to have some friends and they actually assigned me a, a local speaker coach who's really helpful and her, especially her early feedback was like, it's okay. And it's like, you know, as, as entrepreneurs, we always say like, we want feedback, but what we really mean is like, we want validation and five-star reviews. It's, but she was good. She was like, you know, I think you could do better. You know, this section sucks. It was like, all right, you know, back to the drawing board. My brother definitely helped review a draft or two of that. And it was pretty nerve wracking time, but it was really cool to be able to do it. How much time was the, did you, were you on stage for the total time? It was talk? like 12 minutes. Yeah, longest 12 <laughs> minutes. <laughs> yeah, and so like the month uh, prior was like no podcast listening. Like every walk, every car ride, every, you know, trip was just like, you know, going through in my head, like making sure that it was committed to memory. Yeah. 
And so do you get to use slides for those TEDx talks? Yeah. You do? Okay. That helps a little bit. <laughs> and so how did that help you? Or can you, when you think about like the experience and leading up to it, and then after you've spoken it, do you feel now like more confident speaking in public or just speaking in general? Does that have to do with the podcast? Yeah, I still get a little bit, you know, nervous before going up on any stage. But, you know, I, when I do like little conference breakout things, you, just, you know, try and meet people in the audience, try and, you know, learn what they're up to, try and, you know, find a few like friends and advocates in the state, you know, in the, in the crowd for you. So you can, yeah, you know, they, you know, they're, that they're rooting for you. And I think that's my general strategy. I don't do a ton of it. So I have never gotten paid to do any speaking. Actually, I take that back. I got paid to do a like virtual, essentially like guest spot on, it was like through US Bank or something a couple years ago. And it was like, man, I'll stand around and answer questions for half an hour. That was, that was interesting. But that was, you know, one that they proactively reached out to me for. That's very cool. Yeah, I took some speaker training. And one of the things they tell you to do is like, when you see someone who's engaging with your talk, it's just that whatever that one person is, because you're just like, trying to figure out where to place your eyes. And you see that one person who's just like nodding their head and you're like, okay, like I'm talking to you. <laughs> this is like a one-on-one -on -one conversation with you. And I think I've always said, we just, we were talking about podcast move and I just spoke there in June. And as long as I have like one person, like say like, Hey, like I really connected with your talk or that one was well received. Someone came up right after and he's like the best talk of the conference by far. Like it really knocked it out of the park. And, and I think just having that intention of just affecting one person is, is something that is, really feels more attainable as opposed to just be like, Oh, I'm going to crush it. I'm going to have like a standing ovation or something like that. So, so it's interesting. How have you grown as a host on the show over, you know, with 500 plus episodes in? Yeah, it's a matter of trying to get better every time out. And I think like my, I know my tone has evolved. My just stage of life has evolved over the last nine and a half years where I was very young and hungry and probably more, you know, aggressive. Like, you know, I don't even know, like what <laughs> you go back and listen to some of the early episodes, but just like, you know, no excuses, let's go get it done. And now with a family and, you know, different perspectives, you're like, you know, different seasons of life like if you got a six month old like maybe you don't need to be getting up at 5 a.m to do your thing like you know it's gonna be there tomorrow you know just take it easy a little bit so i know that tone has definitely softened over the years i think i've become a better host in terms of preparing guests like what to expect and also giving them a stage to get themselves out there i've heard from lots of people like hey i've landed a bunch of clients since being on your show that was you know the biggest spike that i ever saw in traffic i've gotten so many nice messages on instagram and so all that stuff is super rewarding as well kind of going in with that hook in mind and then trying to find the right guest to tell that story and then you know through the cleanup editing process to really make it a fun listening experience. And talk a little bit about the how the business itself has grown. Like what have you been possible to build from the podcast? Maybe like a community a little bit or any additional offerings that have spread it up as a result of having the show? Yeah. So early on had no you know, no business model in the early days. It was kinda like, you know, blog and podcasts, you know, step two, you know, question mark, question mark, question mark, you know, step three, profit. And it's like, I don't know what that middle looks like. It was a year, a little over a year into the show, like episode 64, I think is the first one that really, you know, turned this on. And it was the recognition that 
you know, a podcast by itself is not a business. It's a, it can be a perfectly viable content marketing arm for a business. And shifting that was a huge turning point, a huge inflection point. And what that looked like in practice, uh, in my case, was creating episode-specific lead magnets, episode-specific opt-in offers, was like, how can I turn this largely anonymous and small listener base into an email list, into email subscribers, where now all of a sudden I can promote the next episode. They have something you know, easily forwardable in their inbox if they want to share it with a friend. You know, I can you know, promote my own products and services in something that's immediately clickable versus you know, relying on them to remember some you know, short link URL or something. So that was, you know, like I said, maybe 14 months into the show, had a thousand email subscribers at that point. Within three months, it was 3,000. Within six months, it was 6,000. Within 12 months, it was 12 or 13,000. It was a huge turning point and didn't see a drop off in listenership over that time. Listenership actually grew, which was something like, well, if I'm summer, you know, if I'm giving the text summaries away, who's going to tune in and listen? But still lots of people were tuning in and listening. And then you can kind of track, you know, over time, like revenue growth moves kind of in lockstep with email growth. And that's been pretty rewarding to be able to, you know, hit send and now broadcast out to a bunch of people. 85K, is that what I saw on the, on the site, on the email list? Yeah, 85K, probably closing in on 95K. I'm trying to get to 100 by the end of the year. And then how do you think about that now? I'm sure you're conscious with that type of audience. How do you decide what to offer and what's the current mix of offerings look like now? Yeah, so the mix today is sponsorships on the show, which is a decent standalone business, but you know it's not setting the world on fire because, I mean, you know, podcast, you know, monetization through sponsorships, unless you have a super niche audience, is kind of like, you know, a game of uh, amplitude and frequency. It's like, how many people can you reach? How big is the audience and how often are you going to reach them? And that's why, you know, EO Fire does really well. We get a big audience and we do it every day. And so like, yeah, you make a ton of money on sponsors. But in my case, with a once a week show, like it's a, you know, very grateful, like it's a great full-time business. And that's awesome, you know, but it took a lot of years to get there. The other piece of the pie that's actually probably a little bit bigger is the affiliate piece of the pie, which is through the, a little bit through the podcast, but mostly through the website and email list where it's it kind of took a while to recognize that's a largely a different audience. I, f- I thought early on it was kind of one and the same, but the website traffic is much more transactional. It's much more, you know, type something into Google, looking for a specific answer to this specific question, find it, move on with your life. And yet I'm trying to capture them on the email list, trying to get them to download a, an episode or two, like, hey, come on in, the water's warm. But, you know, trying to meet those people with where they're at and provide, you know, product and service recommendations that, that meet their need or meet their search intent. And then, you know, historically, the third leg of the stool has been my own side hustle experiments, which that was kind of the thesis early on was I'll be the guinea pig. I will you know, test out these different things. I had all these grand plans to, you know, go drive for Lyft and report back on how that worked and, you know, test all these different things out and ended up doing a lot of you know, freelancing stuff in the early days, you know, sold some stuff on eBay, sold some stuff on Amazon, did some print on demand stuff, you know, playing around in these different niches. And so historically, and still had my own other affiliate sites and stuff at that time, the shoe business and the virtual assistant site. And so that was historically the third leg of the stool, which has, especially since selling the VA site in 2020, that's been 
a very a very short and stubby yeah, leg of the stool lately. It's interesting. You got a lot of experience with the the virtual assistant business and the shoe finder business. I imagine like some of that you were able to like use those lessons in thinking about opportunities for revenue generation with side hustle. Especially the VA site. That was really my first exposure in using WordPress for something other than kind of just a blog slash journal type of platform. That was my first YouTube videos, my first email list, my first like social media accounts. You know, it was a very, and first time like, you know, even a blind squirrel finds a nut again every now and again. Like the first time, like actually getting traffic from from SEO and like, oh, this is how the game works. Like targeting kind of high, actually a combination, like high buyer intent type of keyword, like this company versus this company. Okay, that searcher has done their homework and they're just like, you know, point me in the right direction. They're trying to make their decision or, you know, this company review or this company legit, you know, those types of, they're like, Oh, I'm reasonably sure. Like, I'm thinking of signing up for this. Like, I just want somebody to, you know, validate. I'm looking for some crowdsourced reviews. And so that ended up working really well. But then also targeting some terms that were higher in the buying decision cycle, higher in the funnel, like, you know, just virtual assistant companies, best virtual assistant companies. How do virtual assistant taxes work? You know, what does a virtual assistant contract look like? And same thing with Side Hustle Nation. So a lot of, you know, idea list posts, a lot of, you know, ways to make extra money. What are the best side hustles for teachers? You know, type of uh, informational content in that way. I remember Pat talking about a lot of that on the show. And it was just like everything like he would talk about. I'm like, I wonder if I could try that. And then I he was doing the keyword stuff and just getting traffic. He did the food truck thing for a while. He was just trying all these. He called them, I think he called himself like the crash test dummy for like a lot of these experiments. And I, I remember at one point I tried to build like a page of all the random topics, it was like German Shepherd puppies. <laughs> I think somehow I ended up with that. And I remember spending like weeks trying to figure out like how to drive traffic. Needless to say, that's not where I ended up. <laughs> but it's so funny the things you try and there was like these just stuff that, you know, when you look back and think about how much, any thousands of dollars I spent on those early like get rich quick <laughs> programs online, especially when you're new because there's no one like teaching you or, or like holding your hand for this. You got to jump in and try some of these. And some of them are just like scams, I guess, for lack of a better term, or just maybe just not meant for you and not in alignment with your skill set. So I'm wondering how much stuff you tried and threw at the wall along the way. Yeah, that's an important point is thinking of, you know, appealing back a few layers, like, well, how does this business model really work? What's the work required to get there? And, you know, if it does work, you know, three to five years from now, you know, if I'm reasonably successful at this, is that a win? Like, am I happy with that outcome? And you try and find somebody who has walked that path and, you know, listen to interviews that they've given or even, you know, see if they would treat you to a virtual coffee or something like, can you mentor me for a little bit? And, you know, what does their day-to-day -day look like? Is that something that you're happy with? There's, there's lots of side hustles where the answer is like, well, even if it does work, it's not a huge win. And if that's the goal, then that's okay. But if the goal is, you know, something life-changing, you know, put you on a different trajectory, it's like, well, you kind of keep that in mind almost from the get-go. But there was like share about a failed project. I was like trying to work on this like wine related affiliate site, which I know nothing about wine. The site had no reason to exist. Like I wasn't adding anything unique value into the world. It was like garbage. Like, I don't know. But I was like, well, we kind of live like in, 
you know, medium wine country. I don't know why I even came across this niche, but it was in the research for that. I came across this site that was reviewing wine clubs and they had like user generated content. People could submit their, you know, votes. And I also, you know, as an affiliate knew what they were making on the back end for signing up new customers for these wine clubs. It's like, oh, that's a really interesting model. What could I pivot that to that I do know something a little bit more about that was based on a personal pain point of mine. I'd be curious to spend some time in this industry to learn a little bit more about it. And that's how the virtual assistant site was born out of my own struggles for like hiring somebody for the shoe business. It was like, I, you know, I could go, I guess I could go post an ad at like the local community college, but I don't really want people like coming over and working at my kitchen table. Like, how does this, you know, are these people going to steal my ideas? You know, how does it work? You know, time zone wise, training wise. Yeah. Which of these companies are, you know, okay operators. And that's how that site, you know, it was kind of born out of this failed wine project, but, you know, kind of pivoting to another niche. Do you keep track of like the folks that have listened that I don't know if you'd call them graduates of Side Hustle <laughs> Nation or like, you know, keeping track? I'm sure there's been some really nice success stories of folks that have been part of your community. Yeah, I try and so I have a tag in Gmail called testimonials. So when people do send me a note, I'll drag it over there. It's like right below the tag that says hate mail. So it's like, okay, I try and fill that one up faster, but try and take <laughs> It's like, well, you know, if you're not pissing anybody off, you know, maybe you're not doing it right. It's like, sometimes it's just like, you know, unsubscribe me. It's like, dude, just click the button. Like, why are you going to make me do this? But yeah, try and save the testimonials. Try and take the screenshots if people say nice things on Facebook and stuff and file those away. Because when thing, you know, when motivation is low, when you're kind of like, well, you know, there's always another Thursday coming around. I got to come up with another topic. It's like, okay, there are people tuning in. There are people taking action. You are changing people's lives. And that's always helpful to remember. So what's a typical production week look like for you now? Let's see. So try and batch to a certain extent where, you know, record three or four in a week and then go through the, uh, I dump everything into otter.ai for, you know, a quick transcript. I will, you know, mark up the sections that, you know, I'd like the editor to trim. We try and record more in a single take format these days, you know, baked in intro, baked in outro. And then, you know, I'll go in and record the ads and say, well, here's the timestamp to put in, you know, ad number one, ad number two. That's been a time saver versus, you know, before record the episode and then go back and kind of like, you know, script out, you know, uh, an intro, script out an outro. As long as I'm organized and know who the sponsors are going to be, kind of know what my general general calls to action are going to be before hitting the record button, single take format definitely saves some time. Where are you hosting now? Still with Libsyn. Okay. And they've got uh, dynamic ads now, or is it you still got to just insert? I'm doing a baked in right now. Okay. Have you... I know people are trying to get me switched, especially <laughs> for like promo swaps. That's always been the challenge, like trying to align with somebody whose like audience is roughly the same size. But it's like, oh, if you're if you're doing dynamic, you just you know run your fifty thousand impressions and then swap it out for something else. Like, okay, someday, someday <laughs> soon. So now, how much time do you spend thinking about what the next couple of years are going to look like? Do you have a do you spend time on a roadmap or just? quarterly planning or, or something along the lines? Yeah, historically have worked in kind of like four week, you know, project based sprint modes, where it's like, this is the, you know, something that's achievable in the next, uh, you know, month or two versus 
trying to come up with, okay, what are, you know, what are the big goals for 2023? Like, I don't know. It's just a guess at this point. Thinking a lot more about, you know, what the future of the show is like. I mean, one theory that I'd like to test, I feel like people are tuning in more for the content than they are for me. So I was like, what would it look like to bring in a co-host once a month, twice a month? And like, you know, Bigger Pockets is an example where the original hosts, uh, Josh and Brandon, like they've kind of like phased themselves out. Spencer from Niche Pursuits doesn't host his podcast anymore. I think I would miss it, but it's like, okay, could you reduce that workload? And like just eyeing down the road, like what would make this brand an attractive acquisition target. And, you know, right now it's very much still a personally branded project, much more, you know, the website less so, but the podcast for sure. And it's like, you're thinking about that, like, do you keep doing this for another five, you know, do you have another 500 episodes in the tank? Do you do this for another 10 years? You just keep doing it until it's no longer fun and exciting. I don't know. Like it's existential. What would you do next? You got to answer that. Like, I don't know. How would you spend your time? But really cool to take a bunch of time off this summer, hang out with the kids, uh, enjoy the beautiful Northwest weather. And, you know, I found often that time off really, you know, kind of is a, is a creative reset in a lot of ways. It gets you energized to jump back in the game and see what impact you can have. I think a lot of entrepreneurs, especially, I mean, coming even from this culture, like side hustle culture, the hustle culture, or just the entrepreneurial like mindset of just always feeling the need to be on and feeling the need to be like doing something to grow your business. I should be working my show or I should be working on like looking for guests. And it's, and I think what you just mentioned, this idea of finding times to rest or just my partner's just like let's go for a walk i'm just like but i'm in the middle of something she's like no it's a nice day out it's sunny out like let's do that or let's go hang out in the backyard and and i think my challenge has been a little older i came from like 20 plus years in corporate like if i wasn't at my desk at like 9 a.m like i feel would feel guilty i feel like i was late for work <laughs> and so it's an interesting mindset and i don't know if you know like the range of the demographic of the folks that listen to your show but i'm wondering how much of that for folks is people that are leaving corporate to try a side hustle or or just a younger generation that's just you know starting earlier in life it, it, it really does range like all the way from you know high school and college students up to retirees and pre-retirees but that's something that struggle with every day and this our entrepreneur's dilemma is like the to-do list is never done like there's always you know more ideas than there is time and it's i don't know if i have a good solution for that the you know mark manson's like the subtle art book is like some of the stuff you just gotta let go like four thousand weeks another example of like look step one come to terms with like there's a lot of stuff you're not going to do in this life and you got to be okay with that and like but it's hard because you kind of like you want to do it it's fun it's exciting and Still working on that. How long you been Seattle? Yeah. How long you been there? Uh, just over a year. We spent the last uh, 14, 15 years in the in the Bay Area. Okay. How's that change been? It's been fun. Like this is where my wife and I grew up. Oh, awesome. Um, and so we got you know all the grandparents are super close by, and it's been it's been really cool. The kids are loving having all that extra attention. How many kids you have? Two boys. What were the ages? They're six and four. How has fatherhood changed you? It's softened me in a lot of ways and it's aged me horribly in a lot of ways <laughs> it's you know they just know how to push your button and it's kind of fun but at the same time it's super rewarding to watch them learn and grow and just like sponge up the world around them like now that our oldest is is reading 
he's trying to find me work. He's, he's like, nobody can hire anybody right now. Like unemployment is super low, right? And so he sees like now hiring or, you know, hiring here, like at the post office and the grocery store and Home Depot. He's like, hey, dad, you want a job at Home Depot? It says hiring. Like, well, how much are they going to pay? You know, it's like, you know, starting at $17, like, hey, you know, that's not bad. You want to work at Home Depot? He's like, wait a minute, you only pay me a dollar for helping you with the leaves. <laughs> it's like, maybe you should stop reading. But that's been a lot of fun. It's been, you know, it's trying to set a good example. You start to think about, you know, passing the entrepreneurial mindset along. Like, okay, what are the, you know, outside of school and education, like what are the skills of resilience and figuring stuff out? and you know reading and writing and like articulating thoughts that you know are going to be most beneficial in the future that's i don't know they're a little bit young but starting to figure out some of that stuff or trying to train like we had i think i had this soundbite you know we it's like you know we don't say can't or something it was like a great little clip i don't know if i ended up like putting it out as an easter egg at one of the episodes or something but oh, we don't say can't or something it was like that's great have they expressed any interest? Are they curious about what it is that dad does with all this gear? <laughs> yeah, they come by. They know that dad runs a podcast. At least the oldest one does. I don't know if the old or the younger one has much of an idea. They've made a couple cameos, like at the very end of episodes, you know, talking about, you know, whatever's going on in their life. It's just kind of fun to involve them in whatever little ways that you can try and explain it. Like I, they had, I think I must have had like the homepage of the website you know, on the screen at one point, he's like, Hey, that's daddy, you know? And I was like, yeah, can you read what the sign says? We'll work for freedom. I was like, exactly, buddy. Exactly. Do you think about like how young, like at what age do you start, like you said, pass on those lessons? I just had a previous interview earlier today and talked about like, she studied marketing in school and she's like, I use none of it. Like it was useless. Like I didn't learn anything in college. And it's like, can't remember anything that I specifically learned like business-wise like life lessons yes but like yeah you know how do you, how do you think about those things yeah the way I look at it, it's really like learning how to learn rather than like the specific lesson of the day and I think that is a skill that was really grateful to have like we had a great public school system here and for me it was a lot of like writing practice in that craft is something that i still do use every day, whether it's, you know, written blog posts or scripts or, you know, that's something that was really helpful. And then more so in college, like, you know, working with teams and delegation and, you know, sharing responsibilities and communication, like all of that stuff is important much more. I don't remember what the lesson, you know, what the specific subject matter was didn't matter as much because, you know, you learn so much more by doing it. And it was really grateful to have the painting business in college to be able to apply those marketing and sales classes that I took to. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I was reading uh, Jay Klaus, he's been on the show before, and he's got this great newsletter that I read. And he talks about uh, how he had a job at a newspaper, I think in college, and it taught him the importance of like meeting deadlines and accountability. And I was that's an interesting one to learn, because that's something as an entrepreneur, that's definitely helpful. And especially when it comes time to producing content on a consistent basis. I think that's something that's helpful to learn. How do you do it? Do you have like self imposed, like, hey, you know, Every Thursday, rain or shine, this has got to happen? You know what? I wish I could say yes. And obviously, if you do the math on 300 plus episodes over eight years, I've definitely missed a couple of weeks. <laughs> but I think I've always wanted it never to feel like it's like a job. It's more like a passion project. And I don't know if that's good or bad, but I think in hindsight, maybe, you know, it'd be nice to just 
be some have something to be more consistent with so recently i've picked up the writing again uh, and i'm more consistent on twitter so i'm i'm consistently doing three posts a day and uh, i'm writing a long form blog post once a week which i just started because essentially the long form blog post is going to be the basis for how i you know trim it down and do a medium post on you know whatever the highlights were there on linkedin or on medium and then i'll even pull out highlights for that for like that i'll tweet about so it's the idea of creating like one pillar post of like content a week i take time to write you know i just kind of sit there with my starting to do some more freehand writing so it's just kind of working that muscle and like you said writing is one of those skills that's just invaluable as an entrepreneur copywriting just writing copy even for people who are doing videos like i could eventually like read out the stuff on youtube or read out the tweets as <laughs> like if i wanted to do a tiktok video just because i hate like the idea of coming on video and just not knowing what i'm going to talk about i don't know how people do it <laughs> it's a skill right like to be able to turn on that like all right go you know 30 minute monologue boom like i don't know I man can't do that no that's why i picked podcasting because i was like some people like to talk some people like to write some people like to be on video and i was like you know i can talk and i like talking to people so that's why I've gravitated towards it. A couple of questions as we wrap up. The hour goes by so fast. What's something you've changed your mind about recently? Oh, gosh. I don't know. I wasn't prepared for this. <laughs> <laughs> One thing that you know I, I do struggle with is the idea of streaks in that, you know, if I'm going to commit to this thing, especially like, you know, health and fitness related, yeah. diet related, it's like, I'm like all or nothing. And I feel used to feel like kind of a, you know, I failed if I, you know, went off the rails for a day or if I, you know, wasn't in alignment with my previous commitment. And then, you know, so I've kind of scaled that back. Like, look, you know, if you hit eight out of 10, nine out of 10, like you still did better because you're paying attention to it. And like, just give yourself a little bit of grace, give yourself permission to be human rather than, you know, the rigidity of, you know, don't break the chain, you know, a hundred percent or nothing. Yeah. I think a lot of people see that and they see people with streaks and my partner Natalie's been doing Duolingo Spanish. She just does the five minutes a day, but she's got like a 700 day streak going. It's just like crazy, like two plus years and she hasn't missed a day. So it's kind of this idea of 1% improvement every day. And I think if you make the goal small enough, just like, you know, I'm just going to write one page in the journal. And, and again, if you miss it, just get back on, just start again. And, and I think in, especially in this world that we live in, this entrepreneurial world, this like, you know, like habit, James Clear's Atomic Habits and like everything we all read and all the books that we all share amongst each other and, and podcasts, you know, it's hard as an entrepreneur because you see everyone else just like probably come, like John Lee Dumas when he started with his like daily episodes, everyone's like, oh, I'm going to do that too. And I'm like, I don't think you have the military discipline that he had and the financial runway either. So that's a unique skill set. <laughs> and maybe that's the James Clear thing is like, you know, if you skip a day, get back on that horse. Don't you dare miss two, right? Like, you know, build that habit, you know, commit to it, you know, build, especially it's almost like building the identity habit of like, okay, I am the type of person who does X, Y, Z. And like, to your point about like the writing habit or the Duolingo habit, you just like, yeah, this is just something that I do, you know, it just, it's baked into my day. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's how I've thought about this new like exercise of writing. I'm like, I see it as something I'm going to do for the rest of my life. I'm not, it's not like a goal, like 365 days. I'm just like, I just want to Right. And I, the way I've heard it described from a couple of people I'm following is like, what I'm doing is sharing my journey with other people because in the hopes that it's going to inspire someone or like, I just turned 52, like two days ago, I'm like, Hey, like I've learned. You're a young 52. I would have guessed, <laughs> I wouldn't have guessed, you know, even 10 years under that. Thank you. But I think it's just like, 
I'm also like on a spiritual journey as well. And I, I think we feel like we have a responsibility to raise the consciousness of the people on this planet or raise the consciousness of this planet. And the way you do that is you just like help people who are like one rung below you. Just like, hey, here's a couple of things I learned, you know, about life, about what to do, what not to do. And if this helpful advice for you. And that's kind of the mentality now. I'm just like sharing like what I've learned along the way and in the hopes that it'll help people so they don't have to make the same mistakes or they're inspired in some way by the things that I've done uh, or in, in my lifetime. So that helps me stay focused and feel like I'm at least giving back at some point now. Yeah. What's the most misunderstood thing about you? Misunderstood. I think, like, I don't know if I come across this way on air, but in real life, like very quiet, very introverted, like more than happy to let other people do the talking, like in a group setting. So I get that feedback, you know, amongst friends locally, especially like we're new to the neighborhood and, you know, we've gotten that comment from a few of our newer friends, like, oh, you know, Nick is so quiet. And like, and then they go and listen to the podcast. They're like, oh my gosh, you got like, you know, but when audio is all you got, you got to bring some energy. And that's, that's probably one of those things. But I, I'll meet people at events and they'll say, oh, you sound just like you do on air. And like, yeah, you, you, know, you can't fake it over the course of, you know, 50 or, you know, 500 episodes. But that's one thing that people are sometimes surprised by like, oh, he's super quiet in real life. I think I've come to find over the years that I'm situationally extroverted. <laughs> Like I'll go to conference and people see me at a conference and be like, oh, he's, Harry's got the t-shirt. He's like running around. He's like on stage. And then at some point I've, I've expended all that social energy and I come back home. I'm just like back in my... Yeah. Do you ever like, I, sometimes I just need to go back up to the hotel room and just like have just a few moments of quiet and like, okay, regroup, you know, get ready to go back out. It's like you, you flew all this way. It's like, no, you're not going to just like hole up in your hotel room. Like, okay. You want to go out there and do it. And I don't know, I get a kick out of going to the events. It's like a family reunion in a lot of ways with people who kind of know what you're working on and they, they get it and they have similar goals. And it's, it's something that I don't always get a lot locally. And so it's important to, you know, go and, and kind of cultivate those relationships at the different industry events. It's almost like something I was consciously made aware of during COVID, like how much I like was dependent on like the conferences and my like my entrepreneurial friends and being new to Minneapolis. I like knew had no friends here. So I was like doing some outreach in like 2019 and then that shut off and I'm just and then there's no conferences and I'm just like, wow. I, I miss realize, my people. Yeah. Yeah, I miss my people. And that was just been so much fun. You have any conferences coming up? Nothing on the horizon. FinCon was the last one for me. And it was, you know, it was in Florida. So it was like on the other side of the country. When they announced that, I was like, really? Like, you know, I was really pulling for like a West Coast event. And so I was kind of bummed about going. My tiebreaker was, well, I'll submit a speaking proposal. And if they pick me, then I'll go. And so they picked me. And I was like, okay, now I still got to go. And, you know, within 10 minutes of walking into the hotel lobby, you know, seeing all your friends and you're like, yes, I'm glad I'm here. Like, these are my people. I get a lot of energy from this. And so I was glad to have made the trip. Well, Nick, I'm glad we finally made this happen. I feel like it was eight years in the making. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for the invite. Like, always a blast. Yeah, and it's so nice to see, you know, folks' entrepreneurial journeys and just to kind of track your progress and your success over the years. It's very inspirational, highly recommended. You know, we'll, sh you know, we'll have all the links in the show notes for folks to just get inspired because I think what's consistent, I think, about people that had success is that they're willing to be comfortable with failure. Like, you got to try a lot of things before you know which one of the hustles is going to work out. And I, I've tried many things. And as you've shared here, you've tried so many things. And I think one of the main lessons I learned as an entrepreneur is just to get up, dust yourself off and be like, yep, that didn't work. <laughs> yeah. Back to the drawing board. Yeah. So any 
last thoughts or places you want to share online to have folks connect with you? Yeah, of course. We'd love to have you tune in to the Side Hustle Show. You find it in all your favorite podcast apps. We cover you know creative part-time business ideas, ways to make every money, ways to make extra money every week. It's got you know my mug and you know some bright green cover art on it, so you can find that. But along those notes, like the you know dealing with failure, the big thing is you know positioning any new project in your mind as an experiment. I find for me that like really softens the blow of the inevitable failures that come along the way. Like, I'm gonna try this for, for 30 days. I'm gonna try it for to see, like, do I like doing it? Am I seeing results from it? Is it fun and exciting? And sometimes it is and sometimes it isn't. Like versus the, uh, this is gonna be the thing. If it doesn't work, like life's over. Like, okay, you know, minimize the downside, you know, take some swings. And you find that, you know, just having one hit erases all the losses. And I was joking with uh, John Lee Dumas, probably the last time he was on the show, I've probably had less than five like meaningfully good ideas in my life like it doesn't take it just but it's the execution it's the consistency it's like you know and lots more bad ideas but you know just having a few ideas and seeing what happens with those and showing up every day thanks again nick i really appreciate it Thanks again to Nick for coming on the show. I always appreciate every single week, every single episode when guests take an hour of their day to have a conversation with me and I get to share that with you, my audience. As always, full show notes available at podcastjunkies.com. Check out our revamped website, much simplified. I was hosting it somewhere else, but I'm taking a page from the folks at the pod page website. We've recently changed platforms yet again, always experimenting. So as a podcaster, I've been highly fond. We've been checking out some. We've changed homes once again at podcastjunkies.com. We're hosting it on a new site. It's powered by PodPage. 
been a fan of theirs for a while and I'm testing out the platform for this. Makes things much simpler because it actually feeds the episode into a post automatically. So I don't have to go in there and create anything. It just creates content as I release each new episode. So testing out some of those other pages, a sponsorship page and some other features that I'm gonna be digging into and might be sharing some of that later. Brendan, the founder of PodPage was on an earlier episode. So make sure you listen to that one if you haven't already. Intro and outro music composed by Cedar and Soil, cedarsoil.com for his list of music. As always, don't forget to support our sponsor, Focusrite, in their awesome line of gear, specifically the new Vocaster. Special shout out to the winner of the Vocaster 2, who received an email and an early holiday gift from Daniel and myself. Learn more at podcastjunkies.com forward slash vocaster. Podcast production and marketing provided by Fullcast. Learn more at fullcast.co about how a podcast could be helpful for you or your brand. Next week, I have a conversation with Diana Merriam. She was at the pod. She was at podcast movement in the audience as I was giving my talk about the new show I've launched, Vertical Farming Podcast, and I promised her that I'd bring her on the show and talk about her evolution in podcasting and the, some of the interesting things she's done. She's got a fascinating story. I can't wait to share it with you next episode. Diana Merriam. As always, thanks for all you do to support the show. Talk to you next episode. Hope you're having a happy holiday.